We acknowledge and pay respect to the land and the traditional families of the Yugamba region of southeast Queensland and to their elders, past, present and emerging. We would also like to remind listeners that we are recording on stolen land and sovereignty has never been ceded. Welcome to Revolting Women. This is an independent podcast brought to you by four independent women. It's time to rethink, rebel and revolt. So, what do you think about the patriarchy? Do you want to destroy it? Hi everyone, this is episode two of Revolting Women podcast. We hope you enjoyed our first episode, Pillars of Patriarchy, and today we hope that you will also enjoy this episode, which is about internalised misogyny. Which is when women subconsciously project sexist ideas onto other women and even onto themselves. Yeah, so I think a lot of people have heard this terminology in the past. It's something that's been thrown around a bit recently. I've seen a lot of YouTube videos on it, other podcasts covering it, but we really want to get down to the nitty gritty of internalized misogyny and really explain to everyone how that actually contributes to greater gender inequality in in society. Yeah. (laughs) So enjoy. (laughs) And yeah, definitely how it relates to the patriarchy as well and how it helps uphold the patriarchy. So what internalized misogyny basically is, is, or internalized feelings, is when you internalize a feeling that you experience explicitly in society and then you start to believe those conditionings and you start to internalize that and either express it within yourself or towards other people in the same specific group yep. that we're talking about so in this context obviously intern not obviously sorry <laughs> um internalized misogyny is when a woman will then be misogynistic to another woman and the whole reason we call internalized feelings and stuff is because you obviously shouldn't be expressing prejudice towards a group that where someone identifies the same as you but unfortunately because our conditioning is so deep-seated we somehow believe that we are each other's enemies and we aren't on the same platform and we're not trying to fight for the same things and it's mainly the point that we want you to take away from this is that it's not your fault for being internally misogynistic if you're a woman it is the patriarchy's fault because the patriarchy wants you to hate her (laughs) It thrives off it. (laughs) Yeah, I feel like it's important to note as well that um, men can't internalise misogyny. Mm. They are just misogynistic. So, yeah. Yeah, for sure. Like, women can internalise this misogyny because it's aimed at them. And, yeah, we went over the definition of misogyny on our last episode. In the context of internalising other sort of things like this there is internalized homophobia where someone who is gay will then display like hateful attitudes or ideologies or thoughts about being gay or like the expressions that come with that or things as well such as internalized racism which we are not versed to speak on but have read lots of materials about it that you can attain from people of color and other things as well like internalized fat phobia as well and the point that we want to hone in on this is you cannot internalize a feeling that you have not experienced it is only for the person who has experienced to internalize that feeling and if you are not 
a person that belongs to that group, then you are just that thing. You are homophobic. You are fatphobic. You are misogynistic. Yep. You are racist. Yeah, and I think it's also in um, important as well. There's like a term, internalised dominance, um, and it's kind of explaining when people try to claim that they are internalising or not claim that they're internal. Yeah, pretty much claim that they are internalising this um, oppression. oppression. Yeah. Um, so for an example is like, if you are not fat, you can simply not have internalised fat phobia. You have internalised dominance, meaning you are scared of becoming fat because you would lose dominance over that minority. So, mm. yeah, in, internalised dominance can relate to, to a lot of things as well, um, especially internalised homophobia and, and things like that. Yeah, other intersectionalities. Mm. Yeah, um, so the way that internalised misogyny happens is through a lot of everyday experiences and we wanted to give out a few examples of these just so everyone can relate to what we're talking about and I think a lot of us have personally all experienced this or have been perpetrators of these sayings or of these feelings and we want to make it clear that we actually aren't perfect we're not not internal internalized misogynistic does that make sense we can link that internalized dominance um, webpage to our show notes and I think it's a really interesting article to read because I did not know what that meant before reading it and it's really encouraged me to change my perspective especially on when I was a teenager and I feel as though this topic stems so much from social conditioning as teenagers everything that you've experienced is valid Mm. and it's okay to call yourself out and to recognize your internal bias because I have it we have it all of us have Mm. it and it's still relevant in our brains and in our day-to-day life and I think that this episode and this topic is just super important for us to touch on because we want to unite as women Mm. and because the more cognizant that you become about these internalized feelings then the more likely you are to sort of unpack it when it happens to you and kind of break it down and kind of delve deeper into why you feel that way or why you said that thing or why that's your first emotion or your first reactional instinct towards like a situation or or a woman We're going to go into a few of the common sayings that you have probably said or heard at some point in your lifetime. Do you want to kick us off, Samara? She's not like other girls. Mm. Have you heard that one before? (laughs) Did you take it as a compliment? Because I sure have. (laughs) (laughs) It gets in your head. Me too. (laughs) Yeah, and you feel special, but it doesn't mean anything. It's fucking void. Doesn't mean doesn't mean shit. We are all the same as women. It goes back to that of like what is other girls yeah that's like the main kind of discourse that has been around this saying that I've seen from other feminists who have talked about it this specific one and it's like what is the other girls like what Mm. is that (laughs) I don't know because the other girls is a projection onto men and what they think they want because we're conditioned to think that we should be fitting into the male gaze Mm. the implication is that there's this like strict idea of what girls are Mm. and like that women can't be versatile human beings that's what the implication is is that if someone says that to you there's you and then there's everyone else and Mm. you are unique and special women are not a monolith we are all diverse can you explain that for me what's a monolith 
it just means it, it just one entity. So okay. Uluru, for example, is a monolith. <laughs> Rather than a whole mountain range of mountains, it's its own structure. It's a monolith. Okay. And then you can relate it to groups of people. So when you have these stereotypes and biases about one group, you will say that they are not a monolith. They are, you know, you cannot compare or you cannot state that a whole group of people is exactly the same mm. and these sayings is what is problematic because when you say I'm not like you're not like other girls it's implying that women are a monolith that yeah. they are all the same they have all the same traits when realistically I've not met one woman that is the exact same as one other everyone is different we are multifaceted human beings and we are not going to be put into a box like that and I want teenage girls out there to start realizing that as well because that's the biggest time of our lives where these sayings occur and they really impact us I don't know why I just don't like her mm. we've all said I've that. said it I said it like three weeks ago <laughs> And then I had to catch myself out because we were literally really planning this it. episode for the podcast and I said it about someone that we know and I said, I just don't like her. Like, And then I realised how fucking stupid that was. I think <laughs> that it just perpetuates this idea that women don't even have to do anything wrong to be disliked. They're just not good enough yeah. for whatever reason yeah. and then it puts them in – they just like – It's that the pr- – the the aspect of having to prove yourself and having to prove that unless you have something else to offer, then it's just like, oh, well, I just don't like, mm. I just don't like them. Unless, even if not having a reason for it. Yeah. <laughs> We're different. different one. Um, no, this whole idea of I don't, I don't like her and I don't know why. So it ties into this whole idea that we as women need to see each other as competition mm. and if you can't, if you see this person and you th- usually you feel threatened by them or they offer something that you can't and you link it back to this internalised misogynistic view that instead of actually finding a reason to not like this person, you just go down to, I don't know why I don't like her, but I just don't. Mm. If you don't have a reason not to like her, you're probably just being misogynistic. <laughs> um, another one that we've probably all heard is... I don't really hang out with girls because they're bitchy and they gossip too much. I prefer to be around boys. Yeah, and this is just extremely problematic because once you develop strong female friendships, you realise how awesome women are. Mm. And I think that whole idea that I'm a tomboy, I don't get along with other girls, it just ties back into wanting to be the other girl you know that I'm not like other girls and you're unique and and you are unique you are special and you deserve to have guy friends if you want them but the whole problem with this situation is that you are putting women in boxes saying they're bitchy or they gossip too much and thinking that you are better than them I guess yeah and this the whole gossip thing is really problematic because from an evolutionary perspective we actually needed to gossip to develop as a society. And so when we started developing or building large social groups as apes and in our early stages of evolution, we needed to develop strong connections with um, other people within our groups to defend ourselves from predators. And so as our language developed, we needed a way to communicate this information and you had to 
pick people who you trusted and spread information about who is going to be the best alliance and all of that. And so gossip, well, gossip is defined as spreading information or talking about someone with them not present and it can be good or bad. Yeah, I think that's a really interesting point about the gossip and looking at the evolutionary factor because so so many times, um, yeah, we can go through life and meanings or, or things of things can change and we now have like a new stereotype for what this gossip meant. But when you look back to... Yeah, to how it developed and how it evolved, we actually needed it as a species to grow. And nowadays it's just written off that only women gossip and they're dramatic and they're bitchy and they can't be trusted because they just gossip about each other and they just want to spread lies and um, stupid little girl information about each other. But realistically, um, there's actually studies to show that men and women gossip just as much as each other, but the way they do it is differently. But the stereotype is linked directly to women only. Yeah, definitely. And even the conversations that we all have, like we wouldn't have gotten here if we didn't have conversations about these types of things. And this could be, yeah, this could be gossip. We're gossiping about um, what we've learned. We're gossiping about what we've heard. We're gossiping about other people's experiences that shape our lessons and shape what we want to learn in the future and how to react to things and... um, yeah, without knowing other people's points of views or without other people's experiences, we'd still be stuck. We'd be stuck a hundred mm, years as ago. Apes. Yeah, as apes. And we would be stuck not knowing how to navigate through this new like life or mm. generation. Well, if you look at apes, the way that they spread their information and learn about other um, apes in their communities is that they have to base judgments of what they see rather mm. than with humans, we judge and can make decisions off what we say and actually spread the information through what we've heard and yeah. talk to each other through our alliances. Oh. But it's actually scientifically proven that women are happier when they share a good chat with their fellow female friends. Sometimes you've just got to vent to your mates. Yeah, I remember actually when I was younger, my mum used to always talk about saying, even in the context of emotions, just like when you're upset, you have your group of girlfriends that you can go to and vent to and cry and get some support and feel that love. And blokes, this is like, I'm paraphrasing right now, blokes don't have that. They don't have that network where they can feel safe to go have a cry, let it all out, speak about it, understand it a bit more and have a different perspective weighed into it. It's just all bottled up and all brought in. And that also is the patriarchy because Mm -hmm. men don't feel comfortable to (coughs) share their feelings. So when they gossip, they're probably talking about other things like surface surface level level context. Okay, so we were just outside in the courtyard prepping for this episode and we literally heard a guy on the other table saying, get a girl who can do both. (laughs) I'm pretty sure we've all said that or heard that saying as well, like get someone who can do both things. And it's that like image of, you know, she's a gamer, she can eat dirty food, but she also goes to the gym and will do a cleanse throughout the week. Get a girl who can do both. Like it's all of those things of like the constant juxtaposition of identities but still having that servitude towards the patriarchy. 
Yeah, there's this one meme and it's like that girl that is all dressed up, all her makeup's done. <laughs> and then the other side is like her in tracksuits and it's like, get a girl who can do both. Yeah, and yeah. it's like, can't we all fucking do that? Yeah, everyone can. We it's, all get it, dressed up when we want to and yeah. we all wear our trackies when we're chilling. It's, like, the, it's the implication that there is no versatility within females. Yeah, and, and there's only two types of yeah. girls and one mm-hmm. is um, like the cool girl, which is like, oh, she just wears trackies and hangs out with yeah. the guys or the girl that gets up and goes out and... And gets drunk. And this relates back to the I'm not like other girls saying because, you know, how we internalise this misogyny is that boys project this idea that, you know, why can't um, get a girl that can do both? And mm. they project that onto women and women internalise that by saying, I'm not like other girls because yeah. I do this. Because men think that they only see one side to women sometimes. They see the old dressed up version. They see the best of women because women always have to be perfect and so they always see this perfect image of women and so they don't think that women can get down and dirty even though that is half of every single female's identity and so we internalize it by saying I'm not like other girls because we want to be the other we want to be the person that can do both when realistically all women are like this yep this really fractures the gender binary as well just because you have female genitalia does not mean that you identify as a female as well so these sayings and these comments are problematic from the get-go like from we when we are born because we don't even not many people not everyone fits into gender binaries Mm -hmm. of being the cool girl the dirty girl the any girl the goth girl the emo girl this 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 whole idea of like what you would have seen if you've seen Gone Girl if you Mm. have seen that movie you know what we're talking about when we refer to the cool girl and I feel like it'd be good to go into that in a bit of depth maybe another time but um the cool girl archetype of this it's the point that that doesn't exist that is not real there is no perfect definition of that is what a woman looks like and that's what a cool girl is it doesn't it's not fucking real the cool girl is not real this is just a whole archetype and a stereotype that's been created to fit the male gaze and to make men think that this is something that's out there and this is what women this is what the ideal woman is like But basically, the ideal woman is just a fucking man. Like, all of those things are literally just, like, what things that men like to do. And it's not like we're here saying that, like, this is wrong or this is womanhood, this is femininity, this is not femininity. The point that we want to hone in on is that women are versatile and can be whatever the fuck Mm -hmm. they want to be. And that if that is two years of their life, they want to identify with this kind of, like, style or trend, and then they decide to completely change and up then upend that and become something else, and that's completely fine. It's not – we're not meant to be bound into these restrictions of what it is to be this type of woman or that type of woman. Yeah. And we're not blaming the women who blame and judge other women either because this is all what it comes down to is that we are taught to feel this way so that – the patriarchy will thrive because mm-hmm. if we're banded together like this and supporting each other and not giving a fuck about what anyone else is thinking of us and all of those things, then we would have so much time to destroy the patriarchy. Definitely. <laughs> uh, so the most important thing out of that as well is that gender is a social construct. All of these things that we've come up with are socially constructed. And so when we talk about all of these things that women like and what is, you know, gender roles and also what women you know women liking pink and liking girly things those things are all socially constructed from when you're born yeah and from you're conditioned into these things from when you were young and if you look at how problematic even gender reveal parties are Mm -hmm. they're so fucked up because even before this kid is born they are 
Yeah, they're already put into a box. They yeah, there's no way for them to decide or like not even decide. It's what they feel and figure out for themselves. I wanted to um, bring up this quote by Asatha Jani. I hope I'm saying her name right. I'm sorry if I didn't. At Feminism India. And she said on the Instagram page, I will try and find the post and link it in the show notes. Women are socialised to believe that if we follow the rules of patriarchy, the world will be kinder to us and we will be cared for. And I think that is just kind of the antithesis of this whole internalised misogyny thing. If you perform the role of being the cool girl or you fit, you try to fit into the male gaze or try yeah, to like the, the ideal, ideal woman, woman yeah. then you're conforming to patriarchy because it's not disrupting any men at all. Like you are you're, just... Yeah, you're not going to get a prize at the end of the day <laughs> for serving the patriarchy. You'll get these short-term gratifications, validations, rewards. But You'll get empty. the short-term approval. But at the end of the day, you're sacrificing freedom and liberation. And that's why that's why trans people and non-binary people go against this so much because ultimately they are challenging patriarchy. They're going completely against this and this is why they're attacked so much is because they're not conforming to that. And we need to support them mm, because of sure. this as well. Women will prioritise the short-term reward over the long-term oppression. Wow. No, I really – that's really resonated with me. Yeah, really definitely. Because like a lot of the time it's, it's easier – to, yep. to not oh, go against sure. the patriarchy and to not sure. go against mm. and to, to have that, safer. yeah, definitely safer mm. and that short-term satisfaction feels so good sometimes yeah, and you sure. feel validated. But then then you get out of that and you're, you're back where you started mm. and you're constantly thinking of how to, to find that validation again. Yeah, for sure, 100%. So in this next segment, we want to talk a bit about the difference between hostile sexism and benevolent sexism. And hostile sexism is is blatantly expressing misogynistic views, whilst um, benevolent sexism is sort of a more discreet way of um, perpetuating these views. And that's where internalised misogyny links into that because women perpetrate that too. Yeah, Saskia, yeah. would you be able to explain that to us? Because um, that concept's kind of like foreign to me even. Yeah, I haven't really had too many conversations or done too much research into those um, types of sexism. Yeah, for sure. Really interesting. So hostile sexism is mainly the belief that women are incompetent and they are unintelligent, they're overly, emotionally, overly emotional mm-hmm. and sexually manipulative. So these are very harmful to women on the surface. These beliefs are extremely problematic um, to gender equality and restrict women's personal, professional, political and social opportunities because it transitions from everyday occurrences of saying these misogynistic things and believing these misogynistic things and then transferring into the way we view women in politics and also in um, the workplace as well. So hostile sexism also aims to preserve men's dominance over women Mm -hmm. by underlying men's power. And so it's usually like expressed in blatant and resentful ways towards women. Um, And then when women challenge this by entering predominantly male 
spaces like politics and the workforce they are seen as a threat because they're a threat to patriarchy by challenging this um so whereas benevolent sexism on the opposite side of the spectrum is a more subtler form of sexism and is mainly expressed in positive ways it usually emphasizes men and women's roles in society as in you know women are the caretakers they are Uh, yeah they're just better suited to these roles Mm. because they're underlying caretakers and they just are um yeah saying women yeah, are just better that's why they're in like child care and things like yeah, that yeah for they're sure just better at it and even little things like you know women are beautiful and pure and yeah. also they are delicate and precious and therefore in need of protection and chivalry 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 comes into this as well where um chauvinistic men come in and they say let me hold the door open for you and let me protect you and all of that kind of stuff which is not necessary in this day and age when we don't need those kind of views anymore women can look after themselves it's been proven time after time again that women are strong enough to you look at all the single mums and stuff out there that go through life as these strong independent women we don't need men to take care of us anymore that's not the society we've evolved since those times yeah but yeah the patriarchy relies on those views to to remain upheld Mm. yeah and i think the the benevolent sexism seems to forget like these these entire like all these tropes and everything the benevolent sexism seems to forget the innate conditioning that has led us to this point and so they assume it's just these natural roles and these natural positions that women will take and uphold like what we were talking about with childcare and teaching and service industry where <clears throat> women are just be- just better at these jobs like that is a misogynistic thing to say because it's not true and it also degrades other men who um, gravitate to those positions of childcare and teachers and stuff like that. I understand what you're saying as well because these gender role expectations are stereotypical characteristics of both men and women. They're mm-hmm. very traditional as well and sexist. And if you're talking about men staying being stay-at-home dads and all of that, it's often stigmatised and all that, that they're not you know, they're not the nurturers and so they actually aren't competent to do that. And we're still fighting for male paternal leave as well and it's also women will be judged for leaving their babies and going back into the workforce and all Mm -hmm. that and these are views that both men and women emphasize on women as well because of that internalized misogyny they will judge other women for going back to work too early and not um sticking to those uh, traditional gender roles choosing not to get married choosing not to have kids and then judging someone on it yeah these benevolently sexist um, ideologies that men exhibit and portray, and portray, then go on and transfuse into women, and women start to adopt those ideologies, and that's how the benevolent sexism then comes into internalized misogyny because we're seeing it displayed and we're getting it served up to us by men, and so we are assuming that these things are natural and normal and required. So, with what Saskia was saying before about how women are stereotyped to be fragile and pure and innocent, I think that something that gets lost in translation here is how gendered racism comes into play with this sort of thing as well because white women can use that trope of, you know, fragility, innocence and purity to... Um, Damsel in distress. Yeah, to highlight the racist connotations and notions that are upheld in white supremacy because we can change from our gender to our 
skin colour. Mm-hmm. And that is so problematic because black women are stereotyped to be angry, mm-hmm. aggressive yeah. women. And once someone is a white woman, usually, that is called out for her racism or her misogyny, she can use her fragility and her innocence mm-hmm. that makes a man automatically want to protect her and save her and rescue her because that's his idea of the role because he's the only one that can oppress Mm -hmm. and the white women will do white men's dirty work Mm -hmm. and put other women into vulnerable and dangerous positions as well um ruby hamad made a very important statement in her book white tears brown scars that i thought was very interesting and important to talk about because white fragility is a real thing and white feminism once again needs to also be fucking destroyed Black and brown women are deeply impacted without realising it by the grind of living in a society that does not recognise, let alone reward their value. Overwhelmingly disbelieved when they try to shed light on their experiences of gendered racism, lack of support they receive adds to the initial trauma, leaving them questioning reality as well as themselves. Most devastating is when this happens with white women, often women they consider friends or at least friendly. When challenged by a woman of colour, a white woman will often lean into her racial privilege to turn the tables and accuse other women of hurting, attacking or bullying her. This links literally to the patriarchy because women are the damsels in distress, especially white women. And when it comes to examples where women, white women are calling the police on a black man for doing absolutely nothing. There is proper evidence of this and videos and things like that. And they are automatically stigmatised as evil or the violent one or the oppressor when the white woman has this power and this is like the only time that a white woman can use her power is through these um racist emotional instances Um, so it's important now to talk about the socialization into this internalized misogyny because it's hap- it happens from such a young age. And I think the times reflecting now, even just recently, I've started to go back and watch a lot of the early 2000s movies mm-hmm. that I used to love when I was a teenager. And now I've started to rewatch a few of them. And obviously they'll always play like a, have a soft place in my heart, but now I'll go back and watch them and realise how problematic they are and how they really condition me to have these views about other women. Yeah, two examples of these sorts of things that we can kind of discuss and unpack and also compare is How to Lose a Guy in 10 Days and Legally Blonde. So in How to Lose a Guy in 10 Days, Andy was the cool girl, like she is the cool girl, and she created this persona of herself. Yeah, in How to Lose a Guy in 10 Days, the main character literally outlines all of these crazy things that girls do mm. that drive men crazy. And it's things like, you know, giving gifts and, you know, showing up to his workplace and like things like that and being really like, where are you? Like, what are you doing? Yeah. And like things that are typically seen as like too needy or too attached and falling too quickly for this guy and like things like that. And she actively will state that this is how you drive a man away and then comparatively we have one of her best friends as a character who is just this like sad person who is like constantly hooked up on guys and is just kind of framed as this pathetic woman who is like the friend of the cool girl and there's always these parallels yeah and the guys always leave her and never call her back and like all of these things like that but then in the end of the day everyone gets their guys because otherwise it wouldn't be a happy happy story without that and conforming to the patriarchy, exactly. Yeah. Um, and if 
Matthew McConaughey wasn't in the bet of having to maintain and make the girl fall in love with him, he would have gotten. He would have left. He would have left straight away. (laughs) And we wouldn't have that masterpiece of a movie. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. And then when you compare it to Legally Blonde, where she is, she is the stereotypical girl she's got blonde hair Mm. she's got the fake boobs she's um she loves pink yeah Yeah. loves pink dumb and cutesy and has like this boyfriend that she's Mm. just obsessed about they portray her in this kind of way but it's but like she doesn't act in the way that these women have been portrayed in movies like this before like she isn't she isn't mean she doesn't talk down to people she is e- extremely smart she gets into fucking harvard law school and no one ever talks about it everyone yeah. just thinks that she got in for her looks and all that but you can't just fucking get into harvard just by your looks like you have to have some sort of education behind you and they just and the thing about this movie is that she has this you know kind of enemy you know the new um the fiance of her ex-boyfriend who she went to Harvard for, as you've probably all know because you've seen the movie. <laughs> but she goes there and the she's pitted against the other woman pretty much because they're in the same law classes. It's comparative because she's now with her ex-boyfriend. And in all sort of in all general senses of this character development in normal media and movies they would hate each other and at the end of the movie you know it would be you know she's standing there in the dust while Reese Witherspoon runs away with the man and they live happily ever after like that is the normal trope but Legally Blonde subverts that because she Reese doesn't well Reese can can be this girl (coughs) that loves um like quote-unquote girly girly things things. Yeah. yeah But then she can also be a multifaceted woman that's smart, mm. that goes to Harvard, mm-hmm. that is nice to other women, that um, hypes other women up and, do- yeah, supports them and doesn't put them down. And it just – Yeah, no, and at the end of the day, the, uh, the, the guy that was the main character, he doesn't get anything. And now <laughs> their fiancé is an ex-fiancé and they're best friends. And it just shows yeah. you how powerful women as – can be together. Yeah. And I feel like it's definitely important to note as well that um, Legally Blonde was written by women. Mm-hmm. So and that's exactly why it's an accurate portrayal of female friendships. And you can see in the final scene where she's giving the speech at the end of her law degree, there is the friend sitting in the front row cheering her on and just so stoked to be there mm-hmm. and support her because there was never – like they there was never – the conflict wasn't the main point. There was no point of conflict between them and they realised that they had this common ground over, over Callahan, who was a fucking sexual predator who was their tutor and they – both had that common ground to relate to and be like, yeah, yeah. he's a fucking asshole. Like, don't let him like treat you that way and don't let him, you know, make you feel like you're not meant to be here because you are. And that support innately was what led them through to the end and got them the court case. Like, yeah. <laughs> yeah, you find in so many movies that women are written into the scripts just as a girlfriend, a mum, a sister, the next door neighbour, the girl next door, just like these characters that don't actually have real depth and development to them and that's also because they're directed and written by men. Mm. Yeah. And then you also see this then portrayed in real life where men don't think that women can be anything else except for these tropes or these side characters. They can only be a mum, they can only be a nurturer, they can only be what we portray them as, whereas... Again, they're multifaceted people. Another example of this is the end of um, the Friends TV show series and Rachel 
was meant to move to, I think, Paris for her dream job. And instead of doing that, she decides to stay with fucking Ross <laughs> and end the season there. <laughs> and that's gender roles already because she, like the end of Friends, they just writ all these women in to just be happy because now they're married and because now they have children. And I think that that's what a lot of films and TV do as well. They write us in as just like the caretakers of whatever's going on in the background. Like I used to be so critical on movies that were written and directed by women because mm. of my own internalised misogyny because I would just be so – I would be nitpicky at it because I'd be like, they could do better. They could do better yeah. instead of just because, appreciating. Because women have to be the best. But yep. Men can just be average. Yeah. But if a woman isn't exceeding and isn't at the top – and this goes back to as well hierarchies as well with women and how we're placed on these hierarchies of who's best and who's yep. better rather than just letting everyone be kind of – average and then or letting everyone be really good like it's all these affirmations and reaffirmings of the fact that that we have to constantly be in competition with each other yeah and as teenagers and young children if you're watching movies like this you are being conditioned and learning from it because that's what is in front of you and you want to aspire to be that cool girl in the in the season or the tv show or the movie because you're like that's the one that gets the guys that's the one that gets the validation she's the one that got all of like exactly what we have been conditioned to need a relationship and a partner and someone to take care of us in quotation marks lol and not be able to fend for yourselves and I think that that's a very big issue when it comes to the film industry because it's very it's run it runs off patriarchy Mm. and even just most pop culture Mm -hmm. the reason that these movies are made is to reinforce patriarchy because men need women to be doing all of this stuff they need us to be focusing on our looks and what we're doing to reinforce capitalism as well and also to produce babies and to serve them Mm -hmm. that's why they do this for us they need us to be conditioned into this to make us feel like it's okay yeah the patriarchy pillar capitalism needs this constant state of competitiveness with each other to turn a profit um without women hating themselves or being made to constantly compete with one another capitalism would lose lose um huge amounts of industries and profits um i'm pretty sure yeah the beauty industry last year made like a fucking whopping 49.2 billion us dollars like <laughs> it's ridiculous. Yeah. And it's mainly we, women who are buying into this. They yeah. All these ads are targeted ad, at women. And then they constantly buy this stuff because we are in competition mm. with other people and we are always conditioned to aspire to um, look good mm. or, or be better or be conditioned to live look under better, this male, better, gaze. Better, male yeah. gaze. Yep. And this is the whole thing that this is affecting women financially because when you look into how much a woman will spend on beauty and clothes and hair and makeup and all of these things and it's fucking perfectly fine. Spend your money however the fuck you want to. But if these things are specifically always being targeted to just us and just, just women and the amount of money that goes into our beauty regimes and our skincare regimes and mm. our um, personal grooming with waxing and getting your eyebrows done and getting all of these extra things like teeth whitening and like all of these Mm. things that are fucking sold to us so heavily and then you look at men and they just like they come into my fucking work all the time and they're just dirty like I can (laughs) I could wipe the dirt with my fingernail off of some of these men and if a woman comes in like that even automatically my brain is like oh like 
I, I have to catch myself so often yeah. sometimes to when I'm judging other women's appearances physically and like mm. I have to catch myself out and be like, who the fuck cares? Yeah. She probably just got out of bed. Who cares? Yeah. Or she's probably just had a huge fucking day. It doesn't matter what she looks like yeah. because that's how deep the conditioning is. Like I have identified as a feminist since I was a young teenage girl, but I'm still trying to unlearn these internalized feelings of I need to place women on certain hierarchies. Yeah. Am I more than them or mm. I am I less than them? And you place yourself on that and it's yeah. all based on things that we're told. Like, okay, so I'm here on the I'm here on the rung. She's probably above me. I'm going to be rude to her because, yeah. you know, I don't want to give her the respect because she doesn't deserve it. Yeah. And even just being intimidated by someone that you find prettier than you or above you as well projects your internalised misogyny because mm-hmm. you're not actually getting to know this woman mm-hmm. for who she is. You're just thinking she wears too much makeup or she is doing too much for her personal appearance. Like she's too much. She's, she's probably an pretty. airhead. Like she probably isn't like smart. Like yeah. It's just problematic and disgusting because – all women are suffering under patriarchy and we're mm. also just trying to survive. Yeah. Yeah. Th- that's so important to note as well that some yep. women are just trying to fucking get through the day yep. and to survive. And, and if you feel good to wear makeup, fucking do it. And if mm. you feel good not wearing makeup, do that too. Yeah. Don't let anyone I tell want it you to be otherwise. so clear that this is this this whole the whole message of this is that women can be whatever the fuck that they want to be. Yeah. And it's not up to you or I to decide that. And just really quickly with the hierarchies situation as well um I find it really interesting talking about that because we have all of these own individual kind of things that we consider and like where did we grab that from did we grab it from our personal experiences or what we saw in media and things like that well it definitely I think it goes back to how you're brought up and Mm -hmm. I think these things have been around since the beginning of time and Yeah, exactly. And even so, and capitalism at the same time as well is trying to market so much to women to do that. And so it all ties into one and it all ties into these standards that men created for women and then for men to exploit women with as well by Mm -hmm. selling them all these things and attacking them through that kind of way. Yeah. Yeah. And then women reinforce that status quo as well. Yeah. So the, re- the main reason why we wanted to do this podcast today was because it really does link back to greater gender inequality. And so when we say things about women and we have these stereotypes on them, like they're too much drama, they gossip too much and all of those kind of stereotypes, this actually affects how both men and women view each other, especially when they're in positions of power. And so women won't be chosen for certain uh, roles higher up in companies because, or in politics as well because they will be seen as not being trusted with information, especially um, confidential information, or they won't be seen as being able to hold professional conversations because they're too much drama, they are too gossipy. Yeah, um, I feel like that's also set up so that even once you are included into these small circles, you are still constantly in competition with mm, other women yeah. and constantly oppressing them once you are mm. in these positions because they make them so small and they make it so hard to reach that once you're there, you are the only one or you have to compete yeah. against all these other women. Yeah. And then, yeah, once you're there, um, it's been like as if you work this hard, you can be included in our group of oppressors to then mm. go and oppress other women. Yeah. And... That's why it's important to remember when I or we talk about patriarchy, we mean abolishing it, including um, 
the yeah the capitalism and the small mm. circles because this also makes it harder for trans women and BIPOC women yeah. because then these tiny little gaps or these tiny little small circles of don't the have space for them yeah there's they, no they, space for other like these they make space for these white women and these white women get to these powers but there's not enough room for everyone mm -hmm. there never will be yeah. because yeah but there's always room for another white man uh. <laughs> I just want to point out that at the end of the day, all of this internalized misogyny, we can talk about it as if it's this, you know, just like impli implicates on, you know, society and on, you know, interactions between human beings. But I want to make the point that this limits and harms women mm. professionally, socially, financially, and in regards to their mental health. Like yeah. this, 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 this harms yeah. women. Like it, it does. And I've seen women leave jobs because of how men have treated them. I've yeah. seen women drop out of classes or change degrees because of certain things within their sexism. sexism and also not even just like not even using just that word sexism is just of specific instances where women have been targeted and ostracized for either speaking up or for not wanting to tolerate something and there's no resources or no places for women to go for this and they just have to leave they have to remove themselves from the situation for the fact of personal safety yep and you find that when people do put down women for these circumstances and situations they're always putting down their physical appearance it always comes down to how they look and that ties into male gaze because as teenagers I personally have been thinking about this so much and struggling with this because I find that I'm trying to question how much of my personality and who I am was built on what I thought other guys wanted to see and what they wanted to hear and I in year seven I did like a deportment workshop where I had to think like a lady speak like a lady walk like a lady like all of the general politeness not being too loud and I feel as though in high school I just struggled so much with accepting myself because I wanted to be the cool girl narrative and I never was going to be that because I'm not that I am me you were told to be a version of yourself that isn't real, mm -hmm. that isn't what you are or who you are. And this yep. is what this misogynism goes back down to is it's trying to fit these women into these boxes and to make them fit into something that isn't real, that isn't yep. attainable. We're always going to be fucking striving to get there because there is no end goal of what this looks like. Yep. And especially when it ties into film and media because mm -hmm. those tropes are what stigmatize and socialize us to think that that's what the cool girl is and that's yeah. the hot girl and that's what guys want and what guys want doesn't fucking matter yeah the patriarchy wants you to feel like shit yeah it wants you to hate yourself and it wants you to hate her as well yeah because <laughs> we thrive in groups <laughs> yeah you don't know our power some of you do the reason this links back into why internalized misogyny contributes to greater gender inequality is that when, if you look at still the um, pay gap in society, there's still a big disparity. Um, so traditionally, researchers and politicians have have thought this because of individual level factors such as um, competence and all of that and uh, female ability but recent work has actually suggested that it's because of systemic oppression and if you look at how internalized misogyny contributes to this of our everyday levels of viewing women both women and men how they view women it's because they think that women are too emotional they're too much drama and how that contributes to in the workplace is that 
if all of the if all men and women have these views they that transitions into thinking that women in the workplace are too then they can't be trusted because they're too bitchy and they're too gossipy and then that they're too emotional so they won't be able to make these they won't be able to make these decisions professionally because that's a stereotype they're too right emotional um in the start of industrialization during the victorian era when um things started to capitalize and women back then were based on supposed scientific evidence and and darwinism that women because of our reproductive organs uh, um we were seen to have too too much hormones and too Mm. we were too emotional and so this actually contributed to why women were placed in the home and not in the workforce because they based our biological factors on actual rather than looking at actual fact and then that's why it's taken women so much longer to catch up in the workforce is because of these ancient views that we are actually biologically inferior and too emotional and even with hysteria as well women were always seen to be hysteric and that's only been a recent thing that's been debunked but we're still living in the aftermath of even older generations believing that and we are still copying the brunt of that as a new generation still being employed by older generations thinking that women you know subconsciously that we're too hysteric too emotional all of these things which is just simply not true women are made to feel fucking small that's exactly what it comes down to as Mm. well we have we have we are conditioned to think that we need to be small and to not be loud and to fit right into society and not make too much of a hassle to men while they're making all the choices. Mm. And that has led to plethora of mental health issues and mental illnesses that have um, have been created because we are made to feel like we need to be quiet, we need to not speak up, we need to just succumb and submit ourselves to whatever they're thinking and you can also even link into the health disparity between men and women. Mm-hmm. And you're talking about mental health issues, which, um, but also just general health. In it's a common knowledge. Well, not common. There's, there is so many in, in in the health sector. Many women who go to doctors, predominantly d- male doctors, won't be believed when they tell them they're in pain. Mm-hmm. Most of the time, they're written off or. Um, they're told that they're just making it up or there's nothing wrong with them and then find out later on that they've been living with endometriosis that's just been misdiagnosed many times like this happens all the time and women are dying from this especially black women yeah I just want to add that it's even worse for black trans and fat women all of these women are not treated seriously or taken seriously by Mm. doctors or GPs I can't even tell you how many GPs I've had to see with issues because I've never been taken seriously because of it and you can listen to a lot of people talking about this in in um, Jamila Jamil's podcast yeah no Jamila Jamila Jamil has had heaps of really amazing people come onto her podcast to talk about this and it even really made me think about um, my own biases Mm. towards the difference between um, like f- that my uh, fat phobic views that you're brought up to believe and how that actually doesn't contribute to health At and all. and just our ideas around beauty standards it all links into one that women have to be and if you even look at the difference between male celebrities and female celebrities when they are fat they are treated differently they're viewed differently and they, they get written into scripts in these fucking stupid characters a lot of the time and 
comments are just made like mm. left, but right, and center. Women are always promoting obesity, whilst men are just the funny fat men, and they never and they always get the hot girls and stuff. Whereas women are marginalized yep. if they're fat in those groups. Yeah. So when if we're talking about film and movies and stuff as example, like there's you rarely see like a fat woman just being a woman like Mm. it's always their character is always written about them being fat and men will write these jokes that they think are funny and it's Mm. like oh look a fat woman eating Uh like it's not fucking funny (laughs) she's just eating like what and then you have women like Melissa McCarthy who is fucking amazing and pioneering women fat women roles within Hollywood and creating all of these diverse characters and showing that women can be this and that and this and that and they can also be fat and it's not a fucking big deal. The purpose of stating all that is just to say that women and men have these different beauty standards. They have to conform to patriarchy in different ways and men aren't policed on what they look and how much weight they gained and how much they're affecting our health system and being a burden on our health system in the same way women are. And it's to reinforce everything we've said before to, you know, make women spend more money and make the... Yeah, hate ourselves. I feel like it'd be great to kind of end and wrap up on this quote from the Cultural Bridges to Justice organisation. And it says, for the for the sexist system to be maintained and passed on to the next generation, we all must believe the messages such as lies and stereotypes to some degree and collude with sexism by performing our assigned roles. Mm-hmm. And I think that just sums up the internalised misogyny kind of umbrella really well. So just to conclude this, we have... We've explained this all to you, but we want to give some words of advice on ways to go against this. And I think it's really important to, one, develop strong networks of women because strong and diverse female friendships that don't feel the need for male validation are beautiful, important, and they destroy the patriarchy. So I think, yeah, and so I think it's really important to stop looking for reasons to hate other women and also stop viewing, yeah, (laughs) stop um, to not view women as competitors but as allies because women supporting women is revolutionary the power of our solidarity is unmatched and the patriarchy has never seen that before they've never seen so many women bond together on this level especially tackling these little things like internalized misogyny and so we need to criticize our thinking habits pull your friends up pull yourself up on them don't when you think these things don't just yeah question them when you think these things question them and question where they're coming from Don't just sit with, oh, I don't like her. Sit with, why don't I like her? And is this relating back to internalised misogyny? And, yeah, Mm. just check yourself. Yeah, instead of looking for reasons to not like her and to put her lower on your hierarchy, look at reasons to like her. Like, wow, her hair looks really fucking nice. I'm going to tell her. Or I really like what she just said. I'm going to tell her that that was a really smart opinion and I enjoyed it. Or just uplifting other women. I feel like it's very obvious that we still experience internalised misogyny and we are probably going to have to call ourselves out on it for the rest of our lives because it's so ingrained in our society. But I think that it's just so important for us to unite and actually give a fuck about each other because we're all struggling, we're all surviving and we're all just trying to get through life, trying to destroy this fucking patriarchy. Mm. And so just remember, the patriarchy wants you to hate her. So the next time it asks you to... Tell it to fuck off. Woo! Woo! Yeah, <laughs> fuck off. Thank you for listening to this episode of Revolting Women. 
We hope you were able to learn at least one new thing from us today. Please subscribe to us on Spotify and Apple Podcasts and leave us a review as it helps more people find us. You can follow us on Instagram at Revolting Women Podcast or click the link in our show notes. You will be able to find the sources we referred to in this episode today. If you have any feedback, questions, episode topics, want to open up a discussion or come onto the podcast, we would love to hear from you. We would like to take this moment to also state that we are not the creators nor pioneers of this information, and our aim is to build upon the pre-existing teachings that have informed us. We say thank you to the Black and Indigenous women of colour, LGBTQIA communities, activists and trailblazing feminists that have fought so we could thrive. If this episode has brought up any triggering feelings, please know that our DMs are open to you. You can contact mental health services such as Headspace, which is a free Australian youth-based service at 1800 650 890 or Lifeline at 131 114. Remove the stigma and reach out. See you next episode! What's wrong with that?